Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Hey, good morning indeed. There is a war for your soul. And guess what? I forgot to name this show for the Facebook people today, so you forgive me. All right, Father God, we just thank you for this awesome, beautiful day, that you are the Lord, that you are God, that you are in control of all things, Lord God. And you know the truth about everything. And I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord God, that you are not a a wicked God who holds us in contempt. I thank you for giving us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand the truth. The truth that sets us free. Jesus, you said you shall know the truth and you, you will be free, made free. So we thank you for freedom to know the truth and to walk in it and to walk in the justification of Jesus Christ and the blood of the Lamb. Today we're going to be talking, Lord, about winning our case in the court of heaven. And I pray that you would give each one the understanding of what it is and how it is that the enemy has made his case against them in the court of heaven. And I thank you, Jesus, for giving us protection. You said if any man lacks wisdom, the mask of God who gives to all men liberally. You also said, Lord God, that no weapon formed against us would prosper. And that includes any arguments that Satan has used to build his case against us, any evidence that he presents against us, Lord God, because you do know the whole story and you are our righteous and faithful judge. So I thank you for divine protection over us and our traveling, our vehicles, our finances, our property, the work of our hands, the fruit of our labors, our generational uh, legacies and destiny, Father God, that you would complete and fulfill for the glory of Jesus Christ the destinies that you have called us to. And we ask these things now in Jesus' name, who is our faithful witness. Amen. Welcome to Rescue Radio. Um, I'm going to be soloing today uh, as my husband has gone on a flight (laughs) to do another mission. Anyway, today we're going to be talking about kind of continuing in our discussion of, you know, how to understand why bad things are happening to us, and winning our case in the court of heaven. A lot of people don't even think about their lives in terms of it being a contest or them being um, court. They think of their life as just a, a way to survive. And yet the, the Bible says to come boldly before the throne of grace and mercy to find help in the time of, of need. In Isaiah, just to kind of set a little scriptural background um, very important things that he says. He says in Isaiah 43, he says, um, the, the Lord is speaking and he says, I, even I am he who, who uh, blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will remember your sins and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. Your first father sinned. And your mediators have transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary. I will give Jacob to the curse and Israel to reproaches. This is kind of the, the predicament that God is in because he wants to blot out our transgressions. He realizes that we're coming from uh, Adam, the first father who sinned. And he realizes there's been a huge um, a case made against the human race by the enemy who has 
brought before God our sin, and in the bringing forth of that sin, he continues to make his case, to present his case, to um, petition for our judgment, um, for his justification in bringing upon us the judgments that Satan would have us for under. And so God is saying here, I want to blot out your transgressions, and I want to do it for my own sake, because you're my children. I know you got ripped off. I know you got tricked in the garden. I know basically it wasn't your fault, although, you know, you did do the deed. And so he's saying here, um, bring me and remind me, come before me, talk to me about this, confess your sins. Let's get this thing straightened out. State your case that you may be justified or acquitted. So many of us don't even think of that sort of thing in our life. It doesn't even come into our radar to come before God and present our case. Although he says to do that very thing, he says, um, and he says it more than once. He says in Isaiah 42 also, he says, come, um, you know, to understand, to to present your case before the Lord God. He says in Jeremiah, um, he's talking to Jeremiah, he says in verse 20, again, God is, um, Jeremiah is saying, but the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. But the Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous and see the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance upon them, for I have pleaded my cause before you. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of evildoers. So here again, we see the same process with Jeremiah this time, who's talking to God about, praising him as the mighty one, the awesome one, the deliverer, and the one who is going to deliver him from his persecutors and cause those who would come against us to not prevail, um, but that they would be ashamed, that they would not prosper, that they would be brought into everlasting destruction, confusion, and that God, though he has permitted us to be tested, and he says, you who test the righteous and see the minds in the them, for I have pleaded my cause before you. This is a very confusing situation for most human beings to understand that um, God is the one who, it, he, he says it himself many times in the word, he, he tests the hearts, he tests the minds, he, he um, chastens whom he loves, uh, you know, the, 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 all those who love God are going to suffer persecution. Um, Job, a righteous man, also came under the uh, huge, uh, heavy-duty hand of Satan, who had, had petitioned the high court to test Job. And so we see that the testing of our hearts and minds, though, it, it appears to be God who is author, uh, coming, you know, doing it. It is simply God who is permitting it or authorizing it at the request of the enemy who is trying to state his case and declare that um, we are undeserving, we're weak, uh, let him test us, because he was the one who said to God, let me test Job. And so Satan is really the one who's testing us, but he always makes all these trials and predicaments look like they are coming from the throne of heaven. And therefore we become very confused about God. Is he good? Is he bad? Is he mad at me? Is he there for me? Can I trust him? Is he in today? Is he out today? Is he on vacation today? What's he doing? Well, many times we just um, kind of, you know, throw our hands up and say, I don't get this. I don't get this. I don't get this. And so we just kind of walk away Um, or we try to, you know, make a judgment against God um, regarding uh, based on what we see happening in our lives, the prayers that don't get answered and the frustrations and the continued 
uh, series uh, of bad luck, pro- patterns of destruction. And finally, after a while, we just kind of throw up our hands again and say, you know, I don't know what God is doing in my life. I can't, I don't get it. I must have sinned. I am guilty. And this is kind of what I want to get to today, um, where we talk about that, um, that predicament where we're in of feeling guilty and deserving punishment. Therefore, we attribute to God that he is the judge. He is the one punishing us when, in fact, um, I believe it's the enemy who's bringing those judgments upon us and then attributing it, prescribing it, um, projecting it onto God so that we will begin to judge God as not there for us. Again, one more, Jeremiah, he says in um, chapter 18, um, give heed to me, O Lord, verse 19, and listen to the voice of those who contend with me. This is Jeremiah talking to God about those who are devising evil plans against him, planning and plotting to uh, attack him, not only with the tongue, uh, but to throw him into the pit, devise, uh, uh, dig that pit for him. Uh, shall the evil be, shall evil be repaid for good? In other words, he's saying, um, give heed to me, O Lord, and listen to the voice of those who contend with me. Shall evil be repaid for good? Or they have dug a pit for my life. Remember that I stood before you to speak good for them and have turned away your wrath from them. Therefore, deliver up your children to famine. So Jeremiah is saying, I, I was helping them. I was, you know, taking their side. I was presenting their case and they have turned against me. Now he's asking God, he's presenting to God his predicament saying, God, will you deliver me now from this? And then he's asking God to do cer- certain various things that are, um, you know, judging, bringing judgment upon his enemy. But as we would, would know, God is saying in the New Testament, don't judge, do not judge. It's dangerous to judge. When you judge, judge not lest you be judged, for with what judgment you judge, it's going to be brought back upon you. Um, so God is inviting us, as we see to in the New Testament, to come boldly before the throne of grace and mercy, Hebrews chapter 4, and, and, and understanding that when you go before that throne, that you have a high priest who, who is tempted, who is tested, who can understand our afflictions and was in all points tested and, and tempted, like as we were yet without sin. It says, um, uh, though he was a son in Hebrews chapter 5, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all those who, obeyed him, who obey him called by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So, so Jesus Christ suffered like we. So he understands. He was tested like we were. You know how he was met with those temptations in the wilderness and in Gethsemane. And it says in chapter 4, Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. What is that? Our confession of faith, our trust in him. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted, uh, tested, tempted, as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace and mercy, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Where God is comforting us to see that the that the Lord understands, He sympathizes with our weaknesses because He was there Himself. He came down here to not only save us but to, um, to labor with us, to uh, endure with us, to understand uh, what it was like to be weary and attacked and mobbed and, and assaulted and hungry and thirsty and all of those kinds of frustrating things that 
we, the trials that we go through, he also himself went through them. And that's only right and fair because if he's going to be the captain, the host of the host, the captain of our salvation, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he also has to understand what we have been through. And this is very comforting. So he's saying, I understand you now come, uh, come before this throne of grace and help. And let's get this thing figured out. You say, well, what about this court throne of grace, court of heaven, court of God? It's there. You say, well, I don't see it. Well, in the Bible, if you read, you know, the Bible doesn't say there's the court of heaven, there's salvation, there is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There, it, it's, it's sprinkled and taught as an intricate kind of interwoven uh, discussion of the kingdom of God. And so, for example, in the, the theme of the court of heaven and the courtroom, that kind of terminology that we're familiar with, that kind of language is woven all throughout the Bible. You know, we have words like Old Testament, New Testament, law, witnesses. Uh, many times these words are used. And Daniel talks about the court being seated and um, the um, jurisdiction or, or power being given to the, to the, the saints of the Most High. Uh, we have words like accusation, conviction, guilt, guilty, forgiven, testimony, presenting our case, making intercession, justification, judge, justice, injustice, crimes, transgressions, trespasses, confession, advocates, vindication, vengeance, redemption. All of these are words that indicate that there is something going on behind the scenes that we need to be aware of. And I think that's what part of the mystery of, of godliness is all about, is understanding. And we got a glimpse of that, of course, in Job. But the, 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 there is a court of heaven, and it's not something that's going to happen on judgment day. It is something that is in session right now, uh, 24-7, 365 days a year, all the time. Court of heaven basically is our access point to, um, to God and to getting things done. We can come into that courtroom and he presides over the matters of men. Um, he is there to make himself available to all of the blood-bought believers, uh, no matter how banged up we are, to come boldly because he wants us to present our case. He wants to help us through the Holy Spirit to present that case to, and to know how to do that. Um, so let's look at how we do that, the place where we can conduct, you know, kingdom business, uh, petition God for assistance, um, to make inter- intervention in the affairs of mankind and in our own lives. Uh, first of all, uh, conduct kingdom business, you know, the ambassadors or the delegates or the, uh, we are the ambassadors of Christ to go before that court and, and conduct business, binding, loosing, forgiving, doing what God says to do in the spirit world so that it can be actually uh, uh, manifested in that physical, natural world that we're in to bring solutions, remedies, uh, to bring resistance to evil. And I think a lot of people <clears throat> have practiced that in the last couple of weeks, months, to get us to the place where we are now, right now in our world, in our nation, to come before God with confession, with, with petition, with repentance and with binding, loosing in, in the affairs of men. This is what Satan does not want you to know about. So there's the righteous judge of all the earth who presides, who will not acquit the wicked or not uh, justify the wicked. Uh, he hears our prayers. He invites us in Isaiah 41 to present our case and what we've already read in 43 to be acquitted. Um, the, the, the part of the, the job of the church is to actually come to that court of heaven 
and enforce the victories of the cross, uh, where it says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We come before God to present our, our case, why God should act on behalf of us to bring pardon, to bring uh, deliverance, um, to break uh, the, the strongholds of, of the enemy in our own particular lives, personal lives, or in the lives of the, the, the church, the, the, the community, the, the, the situation that we're in. So we're there. The court is seated to grant our requests. Uh, and as sons and daughters, we have a right to be there. We have a right to ask for healing and deliverance. We have a right to know that this all has been accomplished when Jesus died on the cross. So he authorizes the restoration through the court of the things that have been stolen from us uh, and our generations, including our righteousness that Christ purchased for us, our health, our healing. And so when you come to the court, you're saying it's already been bought and paid for. Lord and Satan is withholding it. Satan is blocking it. Satan is, is creating doubt, fear, and unbelief in my life. In my life. So the court is, is there for our benefit. Um, so how does this work? Well, you, God is the righteous judge. He is just. And, you know, in this world, it's hard to find a righteous judge, one that's not been you know, bought off or taking bribes or, or, or got another agenda or uh, really is not part, impartial. But God is a righteous judge. He already knows what happened. Jesus Christ, who calls himself the faithful witness, probably one of his most awesome self-descriptors, the faithful witness. You know, we call him the Lamb of God, the Good Shepherd, uh, the Vine, the this, the that. But as the, the faithful witness, it implies that there have been crimes that need to be testified to. There needs to be a witness that can testify to the truth of what really happened. And so he becomes that witness to testify to the truth. And he... he um, he, his, it says in First Peter chapter 3, his ears are open to our prayers. So these cases that we have, these, these, these injustices, and by the way, if you have a lot of injustice in your life, uh, see a lot of things that are not right, not fair, you're going to be either angry or bitter or you're going to forgive. Those are your options, basically. Um, but but before we can, you know, say that in the injustice has happened in your life, and there have been many, and you can become very discouraged, you can become very bitter, even bitter against supposedly God. You might think you're angry at God, and the enemy brings that up in your soul to make you feel unlistened to, unheard, bitter, mad at God. But you can ask yourself, well, where would that I'm mad at God thought feeling come from? The Holy Spirit? No. So what's the other option? It has to be coming from hell. So Satan is using your experience, your events, the sorrow of your life, the grief, the setbacks to get you to agree that God is um, wrong. He's not fair. He doesn't hear. And you become angry because you say, well, God, where was he? He could have been there. He should have been there. Why didn't he do something? Those are the typical um, thoughts and expressions that come when people don't understand what's really going on. They just take the surface level explanation God is all-powerful. Why didn't he do something? And they don't realize there's much, much more to this. So we, when we went on earth, when you bring your case before the judge, um, you, you know, it, when, when a case is brought before a new judge, that would be God, it must be released from the previous judge. So you can't have two judges on the case at the same time. Um, so if we have held someone in, judge, in judgment, you know, we have as, uh, are not forgiven them, we have, in essence, judged them, therefore making ourselves the judge. So if we're going to get 
access to the court of heaven, the only way you can get in there is to release that person or situation or persons or whatever from your judgment. You can no longer act as judge in the situation. Um, we cannot be the judge and the plaintiff in the same case. So obviously, if, if someone has wronged us, we're going to have to either choose to try to fix it ourselves and get our own justice or trust God and turn it over to him and release it through forgiveness. Because basically forgiveness is I release you from my judgment. And so I turn it over to the Holy One of Israel, the righteous judge. So um, how do we judge people? Well, basically, you can what your heart is full of comes out of your mouth. So if you listen to your mouth, you'll really understand a whole lot more about what's going on inside of you. And you may not like all of that, but he says, you know, if you've, if you've been wronged, usually the first thing that comes out of our mouth is I'm mad. That's, that was wrong. Or we say that was wrong. And I'm mad. So in, in both, you know, whichever whatever way you say it, I'm wrong. That's mad. I'm mad. That's wrong. You have judged that situation as, as wrong. And you've also picked up an energy or an anger to to do something to bring it back to balance or justice when you forgive you release the person you're holding accountable uh you're releasing them to god i release you from my judgment so i i'm no longer the judge so i turn you over to god for judgment Uh, i no longer sit no longer sit as the judge in this matter and so what happens then is you you cannot come into the throne of grace and mercy mad and unforgiving. You have to come in humbly uh, and come in with the right attitude, knowing that you can't fix this. This is wrong. There was a crime, and there is a righteous judge who sees that crime and also knows that's a crime and wants to judge that crime, and he's the only one who can. And we've said many times that, um, especially in, in cases of like witchcraft, you can't, if you come against witchcraft, like Paul did in Acts 16, 16, um, the girl with the spirit of divination, he cast out the spirit and immediately there was a, a riot and he had to be carried away safe and put in a jail. That's where him and Silas were in that jail when the earthquake came, because when you touch witchcraft, if you've got the real deal, it will bite you. It will blame you. It will accuse you. It will snap the whole thing around and make you be the bad guy instead of what you're trying to identify as wrong or wicked or, or corrupt or uh, deceptive, <clears throat> that spirit will, it's like it'll spring it right around and pop it back onto you. And, and so you cannot fight witchcraft without forgiveness. You must forgive the persons that are practicing it, and you must turn them over to heaven if you are going to be protected and delivered. Because that's one that you have no, there's no, we have no power uh, to do anything other than forgive on that one, because there's there's no way you're not going you're no match for the devil, you're no match for Jezebel, you're no match for witchcraft. All you can do is come before the judge and present your case. So he wants the crimes in our lives to be brought before him. But many of us are so like in our personal life. Think about your personal life for a minute. So many of us are so familiar. Uh, we accept it's we're so used to bad things. It is what it is. It's never going to change. Um, I give up. It doesn't matter. Um, Whatever I do doesn't work. Um, It's never good enough. I always got to do more, blah, blah, blah. And so we just kind of live with it. We we don't think uh, there's a, there's something here that, that that needs to change. And because we, we choose to agree with the lie, I can, I can make, I can live with this. I can, I can do, I can put up with it. You choose to live with something and therefore you're not 
resisting the enemy. You're actually passively agreeing with him by putting up with it. But God wants to bring the crimes, the loss, uh, the devastations that have happened, even in your bloodlines, to the court. He wants to bring justice. He wants to correct those calamities and troubles that have even happened maybe four, five, six, ten generations before you that you are still suffering with, that your people are still suffering with. He wants to bring uh, those injustices to the light, to the court, to correct them, to rule on them, to judge the evil one, um, and to remove injustices from the earth. So part of our job is really to identify those crimes and issues and begin to bring them to God. Um, so I have to ask, we ask, the Lord asks, but how many times and how many ways do I judge someone else? You know, and when you judge someone else, this is the other flip side of that powerful judge not verse, lest you be judged. Well, when you judge someone, you judge them and you have agreed with the enemy, whatever he's put in your mind to speak against them, backbiting, uh, whispering, gossiping, uh, murmuring, um, uh, you have given the enemy that agreement by judging that other person to hold them in that place of uh destruction um how many of us judge our children they go off and do some horrible things they do things that are contrary to the word of god they're they're rebellious they're they're hooked in all kinds of perversions and addictions and rebellion and darkness and witchcraft and um and and blindness and stupor and deaf and dumb spirits and they're just locked surrounded and we get mad at them we are mad at them because they're not making us proud. They're not doing it right. They're, they're not taking action. They're not making good choices. So we get mad at them. And, and in getting mad at them and restating over them what they are, you know, or, or our disappointment with them for what they are, or what they're doing, you just really lock them into that stronghold even deeper because of your judgment uh, for example, you may have a son or a daughter that's been pulled into the gay lifestyle, and you're you're a Christian, you're a believer, you're you know love God, and and you're so disappointed, you're so downhearted, you're so shocked, you you, you know you're feeling bad. I was a, maybe it's my fault. I was a bad parent, uh, or you don't realize what and how it has come to this. You know, you've prayed for them, you dedicated them to God, and now they're off, you know, sleeping with someone of the same sex. It's just like unbelievable. How do you, how do you stop being upset, hurt, mad, offended, and how do you stop judging that situation? Well, I'm telling you what, Mom and Dad, you've got to stop judging it. First of all, you start looking at yourself and you say, you know what, I was way too religious. I, I was preaching the wrong gospel to my child. I tried to get them. I mixed that gospel of grace with law. There's sin number one. You mixed the gospel and your child became confused. Your child did not understand, is God good? Is he mad? Is he bad? Is he for me, against me? And because there's a confusion there, and, and then more than likely you had some sexual perversions coming down your own bloodline. And sure enough, that spirit of perversion showed up in your, in your child's life and they were sexually assaulted. And because they were so ashamed and it was so terrible and devastating and they couldn't talk to you about it because it was so contrary to how they were being raised, they became ashamed, silent, secret, and they didn't tell you about it. So you didn't know about it. Or maybe you did know about it and maybe you didn't know what to do about it. And because nothing was done, 
nothing was done in the, to deal with the familiar spirits that come through that bloodline as the spirit of perversion and, and sexual assault. That child was sexually assaulted. Uh, there was nothing done there to forgive. There was nothing there spiritually to bring it to the court of heaven, to come boldly, to bring restoration to the child. And so it just got left. And when it was just left, it began to grow and build. And then, of course, you, this poor child has is, is grown up in an environment of filth and blasphemy and perversion where in this society, you know, it, it, everything is like that now. It's unclean. Don't know which bathroom to use. Don't know if you dare say it's a male or a female. You, you, you know, everybody's okay being a trans something or other. Nobody knows their identity. Their gender has been attacked. Our basic, basic building block of identity is your, your, your sexual identity, male or female. And that has been up for grabs and attacked. And so the, the kids are just, I mean, so here they are. They're surrounded by lies, caught in a stronghold, beaten up, drug astray, uh, comforted by the enemy, you know, find their comfort in like-minded people who are also wounded and bruised and mad at their parents. And you're not helping much by, you know, if that child would have a physical condition, like say they would have been diagnosed with cancer or something, and you, you would not be acting towards them, acting towards them with this situation. You would be there for them, take them to their treatments, take them to the doctors, get the best therapy, spend lots of money trying to get them the best help in the world. You would comfort them. You'd be there for them. You would not hold them guilty. You would not charge them with wrongdoing. You would just be there for them. But now it's a spiritual cancer and you're treating them like an outcast. And of course you treat them like an outcast. You've driven them further away. And that is exactly what Satan wants. He wants you to be so indignant, so wounded, so bitter, so shocked, so mad that you will not humble yourself and do what needs to be done to bring that precious one back. Those children are being tested, assaulted. Satan is trying to, to steal them. And there's a, there's a scripture in Deuteronomy where it says, 28, when we don't follow the Lord, which, by the way, the United States and the world, for the most part, has not followed the Lord at all, um, I mean, there's many, many wonderful, good people in there who love Jesus. Don't get me wrong. But in, in, the, in one of the curses that came in Deuteronomy 28, if you don't follow the Lord God, he says, verse 32, your sons and daughters shall be given to another people. Your eyes shall look and fail for longing for them all day long, and there shall be no strength in your hand. Nothing you can do about it, in other words. Um, those other people are the, the, the wicked ones. The, the those who practice wicked, those who the, the devil who seduces our children through false promises and false acceptance and power and and belonging and all kinds of things. But they're there. That's another people. It's another whole. It's not our people. It's not it's not God. And so this is one of the judgments that come upon people who, who turn to the wicked ways, the seductions of the evil one and you and I. As mothers and fathers need to repent before the Lord God and cry out for our children and repent for our own sins because we have been judging them. We also, um, you know, whenever you judge someone, your own husband, your own wife, the thought comes up into you, into your mind, into your heart, this negative, critical, bitter, you know, uh, thought. And maybe you think it, maybe you practice, maybe you say it, maybe you treat, mistreat them uh, or treat them according to how you see them coming through the, those perceptions you have basically hurt them you've judged them you've you've cut them off from your your blessing you've cut them off from love 
And when you're judging them, it's pretty hard to love them. And the Bible says, love all the laws fulfilled in this that you love. That doesn't mean you, can, you have to permit all wrongdoing. There's a difference between behavior and being. But when, when in our own minds, Satan is trying to create division and get us to think about others in a very negative light and then treat them accordingly, you've judged them. That's why judge, Jesus said, forgive. He says, whoever sins you've forgiven in John chapter 20, verse 23. Whoever sins you've forgiven them are forgiven. When you forgive someone, that means that they are released not only from your judgment, but they're released from the guilt and the, uh, the words and the pronouncements that, and the judgments that you have brought upon them um, by not forgiving them. When we're forgiven of our sins, we're released from guilt. Guilt is from hell. Guilt makes us feel like um, we're bad, like we deserve punishment. We deserve to, we, we deserve the pain. We deserve, we don't deserve good things. We're bad. So that is the devil's favorite way of bringing us into the place of, of agreeing with him. I'm guilty. I'm bad. I had it coming. And so when we judge other people, um, we hold them, lock them into demonic judgments. When we forgive them, we release them from demonic judgments. And you will find many times when you truly from your heart and, from your, and, and with an act of, uh, of your will forgive your people for what they did, you turn the crimes they committed against you over to God. And God isn't saying we don't have to admit any crimes here. We just pretend like everything's okay. No. God is saying there were crimes, definitely. You were not raised properly. You're, you were abused. You were neglected. You were this, that, 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 that. But God wants to judge it. You are the plaintiff. You are not the judge. If you want the, the right settlement, you have to be the plaintiff here. And so um, when you forgive other people, they will turn around and, and be released from those judgments and begin to do the right things. You have judged your children as they're this, they're that, they're whatever. You have judged them. You forgive them. You bless them. Bless them and ask God to release them because they are desperately in need of your blessing. They're desperately in need of your prayers. Not that you're going to feel bad and guilty as a parent, but you're going to go to the court and you say, God, I've got to have my son back. I've got to have my daughter back. This is not going to be okay. I'm not going to permit them to go to hell. This is what I, I'm, I, I confess the sins of my generations. I confess my own hard-heartedness. I confess uh, my own apathy or passivity or um, neglect or uh, religious you know, judgments, expectations. I forgive them and I ask you to forgive me. And now I ask that you remove the demonic judgments against them because actually that, that's important in understanding how we need to get freedom. And we're going to get to a very important point in inquiring of God, inquiring um, what specifically it is, what is the specific lie or argument or grounds that Satan is using to present his case against you or your child or your loved one in the court of heaven. What enemy's argument, what is he presenting as grounds? Because he has to present grounds. He can't just come in there and want to do something without presenting a case. Um, I believe this is what I truly believe. And it also is indicated in the book of Joshua, but uh, that's not necessarily the Bible. It's a book referred to by the Bible written by Joshua, probably, but in there, he talks about Satan coming before God to demand that he test Abraham and Abraham's love and affection for God. Because once he got Isaac, his son, he seemed to not, you know, include God and worship God and seek God and praise God and spend time with God anymore after that. So Satan was saying, well, you know, he doesn't really love you. I, you know, he said, tell him to kill Isaac. And so that's how that if that make that makes total sense to me that it wasn't God 
who lost his mind and said, oh, well, I, now I've given this to him, the son of promise, in 25 years he's waited, and now I'm going to test him to see what he's going to do about it. You know, he's going to love me. Is God that insecure and that unknowing that he doesn't already know that Abraham loves him? Abraham's, you know, being tested, yes, but God already knows what Abraham is going to do, so why would God have to test him further? He already knows that Abraham loves him. He already knows that, uh, and God doesn't need to say, well, does he love me more than Isaac? God is not insecure like that. But Satan is, a, is, is, a, is an enemy. He's an adversary. And so he comes to stir up trouble, and he says, well, I don't really prove, prove that Abraham loves you more than Isaac. Tell him to kill Isaac. And so now Abraham's all, all you know, got, okay, what's going on here? You know, um, you know, this is what the heathens have. They're, they're, their people do. They kill and sacrifice their sons, their firstborn, whatever. They're, you know, this looks like weird to me. I don't think this is God. Well, he didn't question it. He just began to prepare his journey to Mount Moriah to go do what God said to do. And God was the one who delivered him. And, and Abraham's word of faith, their st- statement of faith was uh, when Isaac said, well, where's the sacrifice? God says, um, Abraham says, God will prepare, provide the sacrifice. And surely enough, he did. It was the ram that was caught in the bushes. But um, so it was, it was the enemy who set this all up and he does the same for us. So when we are going before the court, for example, inquiring of a son or a daughter or a loved one, a husband, what is the, what is the lie? What are the grounds that Satan is using that, to build his case to, to bring or to request that he be permitted to bring a demonic judgment or justify his case in bringing a judgment or calamity upon or against us. What is he saying? For example, I could give you a cool example. Um, a lot of people don't know how, you know, they don't know their relatives and their descent, their ancestors all the way back. Some people do. Actually, if you know your people way far back, more than likely you probably are coming from a royal bloodline because it seems like they are more uh, able to keep, keep their records than the common people. But uh, one of the gals that uh, I work with it comes from the, a royal bloodline, and she's related to uh, Queen Elizabeth. And Queen Elizabeth was uh, a celibate. She was never married. She was. Um, she thought that it was her divine duty to be the queen, and she couldn't allow or take advice from any husband or man. So she remained uh, and, and sacrificed or dedicated herself to the to the. Uh, ruling of England and said she would never marry and she refused to marry and she actually kind of despised men and didn't want to really let them run her life. So she didn't marry. <clears throat> well, and so that kind of a, 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 a vow, uh, a declaration uh, made by a very powerful person in that bloodline was coming all the way down to this present day and affecting my client's daughter who is of marrying age and a little, you know, getting into that gray area where am I going to get married or not, you know, in her probably early 30s and has had no success in finding the right man. Found a few of them, but they weren't the right one. But so we prayed um, and went to heaven and we found God showed us through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, reminded us, showed her that this is what Queen Elizabeth did. And so when we brought that before the court of heaven, we presented our case. We said, Lord, we come to cancel out that agreement, that statement, that declaration made by Queen Elizabeth that Satan is using to hold poor little one, this 
this little descendant many generations later, um, keeping her from finding her husband because of something that was spoken, you know, how many generations ago. We said, God, we cancel out. We forgive, forgive, that is the powerful word. We forgive Queen Elizabeth for making that statement. We release her from our judgment. We release her, we forgive her for opening up a door here that Satan has been using, giving him grounds to come down and come after us. And so we forgave her. We turned the matter over to the high court. And we, um, within about three weeks, not even three weeks, this little girl, this young woman, has now found someone that's very, uh, very promising in her life. Um, and this is, you know, this is how that really works. When you really unhook it, when you really get to the place where, and so God is saying, ask me, ask me, ask me, you, as you pray for your child, ask God, okay, what is the agreement here? It's it maybe nothing, you know, it's coming. Somehow your child or you or have agreed with some form of that, but it's, it may be coming from a, a, a ancestry. It may be coming from someone who is, uh, way beyond you, but that's, that's still affecting your bloodline. You say, well, that's not really fair because I don't know what that would be in this particular case. Well, you know enough. You always know enough. I believe God doesn't expect us to know what we don't know. And if you don't know it, the Holy Spirit will show it to you. And if you, and if you just usually look in your own bloodline and your own behavior and that of your parents, you're pretty much going to see a lot of the same stuff going on because the patterns are the patterns and the patterns keep coming down. It's just that we don't recognize them because we're so familiar with them. So ask God, what is, what is going on here? Why, what, um, what is doing this? I mean, uh, I remember other cases that are uh, kind of shocking that way too. One gal, one time she came and she had a a lot of neurological problems um, in her neck and um, just strange, went to the doctor, lots of doctoring, couldn't figure out some neurological kind of, pinching, binding, uh, almost uh, to the point of causing her to pass out and that sort of thing. They did all kinds of tests. They couldn't find anything at all. And um, it was like, almost like there was a grip on her there in her inner, and I believe there's a grip. A lot of times in our bodies, there is a grip. There's a spirit that has a, a position, a stronghold there. He is gripping, or there's a part of a program that's been set up to run uh, to create that calamity or that, that uh, pattern of destruction. And so I asked her, I said, well, tell me about your people, your, your ancestors, what was going on with them? And, and I said, Lord, just bring to her mind whatever it is we need to know right now. And, and within a few moments, she began to talk about her father in the old country, and, or was it a grandfather? I can't remember. I think it was a grandfather. In the old country. And there was a big dispute over some fence line or something with his neighbor. And um, there you have, a, you know, obviously fence lines and border disputes and that sort of thing. But one of them clobbered the other one with a, a, a sharp, blunt object. Maybe it was a, a blunt object. I think it was like a shovel or something. Like that. Hit the, the other one in, in, in the neck area, in the shoulder neck area with this, whatever it was, post, shovel, whatever it was, and wounded them. And that crime had never, ever been brought before the court of heaven. And so there's a lot of those crimes hanging out there that Satan uses as justification. He says, well, he says to God, well, you know, there's still that on the books. Nobody ever came to forgive or forgive or, or, or get that thing taken care of. So I'm, I'm using that 
I have a right to bring that same assault against this one, uh, against her shoulder, that same wounded area where her grandfather wounded this other person or the other person wounded him. I'm not sure who wounded who. But what we did is we forgave both of them, the one who hit and the one who was hit, the one who was hit for not forgiving and the one who hit for not forgiving. So we forgave them both. And within a couple of weeks, the, the, the problem had all gone away, basically. Gone. It was amazing. Um, and there was no more medical remedies or interventions. It was just like, okay, so we asked God to forgive and to restore to this one that we were praying for um, her health. And, the, and, the, and this is interesting because if you inquire from God, what is the accuser using to build this case against you? Please listen to me. This is very important. Many of you are suffering in your physical bodies uh, from wounds or bruises or certain s- syndromes, situations in your bodies, uh, in your lives, in your relationships, and you don't even inquire of God. You're just assuming that this is God testing you and it's supposed to be this way and you got to, you know, just bear your cross. Um, there's plenty of crosses to bear without feeling sorry for yourself and picking up any extra ones. God wants his people free. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. He didn't say, I've come that you might cope, survive, and limp through life. God has a destiny for your life, and right now you better get into it because we don't have much time left. You and I are running out of time, and we're going to have to give an account to God someday. Um, and so, you know, you can have, you can have, by the way, everything Jesus Christ died to give you, you can have it. Now, I'm not talking about your heavenly home right now because that's heaven. But the things that God destined for you to have on earth to do, to accomplish, the souls to save, the ministries to, to, to fulfill, uh, the destiny, you can have that. And you will, you will know that the place of your greatest calling and destiny is also the place where you're most greatly afflicted so that the enemy has purposely driven you from that place. And so if you have uh, – and, and, and Satan is very legalistic. So he's very religious. So, and it's an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, a blow for a blow. Remember, a blow for a blow. So Satan would go to God with that woman's case. He said, it's a blow for a blow. I have a right to hit this person here because nobody's forgiven and it's still on the books. And so God says, all right, but, but God also has in mind that we, the intercessors, the ones who come before the throne of grace, take the time to ask him, what is this blow for blow accusation Satan is holding against. We didn't know at that point in time what it was, but God showed us. And then we see that it was a blow for blow. Now, Satan will do blood for blood, too. And blood for blood is, oh, that's an easy one. Bloodshed, anybody that's shed innocent blood, and there's tons of people in our bloodlines, and especially if you're of royal descent, you have got witchcraft and bloodshed. Absolutely no questions asked in your bloodline because they murdered people, cut their heads off, choked them, uh, practiced Freemasonry. By the way, if you have Freemasonry in your background or any indication of it, you need to go to our website. LifeRecovery.com. Do this for yourself. There's a 42-page manual there that is free um, that you can read through and read through it and pray through it and say, okay, Lord, I renounce. You have to, these people did oaths. They, they, uh, they um, uh, bound themselves to the devil uh, to keep the secrets of Freemasonry. Bottom line, Freemasonry is as anti-God as it can get. It's everything. It's Lucifer's the grand architect of the universe, not God. And, and it's not by grace that we're saved. It's by works, our own works. We pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. It's by perfection performance. Anti, 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 everything anti-God. And so you go through there and you will find that there's many of your physical ailments are tied directly 
to Freemasonry, the, the noose around the neck, thyroid problems, um, choking problems, compass point to the heart, heart attacks, heart arrhythmias, uh, aorgas, burst blood clots, whatever. Um, blows to the head. Oh, yeah, blows to the head. Let me tell you about that. So you see, as you start to say, well, wait a minute, that was a crime committed against my people and you know my husband my grandfather or whatever was duped into it my whatever usually it's men who are in freemasonry but women are an eastern star so it's really no better demolay as well demolay is just as bad the demolay initiation rites if you look up look them up online they're they're blasphemous the first thing they have these teenagers teenage boys do is spit on the cross and renounce the renounce jesus christ okay so that's going to set them up and then they, they violate them um, through indecent kissing uh, and uh, various other things. They, they buy, bind a cord around them to an idol. They, they tie this cord of a head or something, an idol, as a carved image of something, and they tie it to them in a symbolic dedication. You think, well, it was just DMLA. It's just a youth group. No, it's not. So I know that you're listening, some of you, and you, you don't realize that you're bound uh, to idols. You're given to idolatry. You're given to addictions. Uh, you're given to sexual perversions. But this this thing with this unclean spirit of sexual perversions and homosexuality comes from this long, long process of Satan seeding this nation with these perversions. It just didn't pop up overnight. He's been working a long time to seed this field with perversions. And now they're coming. And this is how our children are getting caught in these things. So if you've got a child who's in... Uh, you say, well, I don't think we were in Freemasons. I don't think we had anything like that going on. Well, the curse of the cause without a cause does not come. There's got to be some reason somewhere. You might have been Knights of Columbus, and that's pretty much the same thing. Knights Templar, same thing. But you, you, So you seek the Lord. Inquire from God, what is it that's going on in my bloodline that is giving Satan um, this case against me? Now, some of the other things that Satan does, he gives us to judge ourselves. And so what happens is when he goes up to the court of heaven, he's already got his plan. He's already acted out on the demonic patterns uh, from your generations past. And he's brought you into a place of, of calamity or trouble um, you know, where you've failed, where you seem to be stuck, where you get mad at yourself. You can't seem to get past what you're trying to get past. And then he gets you to feel to judge yourself. I am so what stupid. I am never going to make it. I'm a failure. Uh, it's my fault. Um, never good enough. All these kind of detrimental, negative, uh, judging thoughts towards yourself. Or I am guilty. I am guilty, guilty, guilty. And so he wants us to begin to accept that guilt. And then when he goes to heaven to present your, uh, your, his case against you, he says, he lists the sins. Okay, she's been you know, murmuring, complaining. She's been gossiping. She's been backbiting. She's not been um, telling others the truth. She's been, um, you know, I don't know, whatever, you know, starting to drink or whatever, whatever he's saying. She's got all, all these sins, 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 sins. Choices that she's made, God, may I re- remind you, she's made these choices. And, you know, Jesus is, staring, is, is right there as the faithful witness, but you didn't show up in court that day because you didn't know they were trying your case. And so you, you don't, you're not there. So the accuser comes to, to, to first of all, he's, he's the one who set you up. He's the one who deceived you. But that, that, of course, he doesn't bring that part up. He says, she's doing all this, this, and this. And here's the list. God, look at it. She, you know, there's bloodshed in her bloodline. She's murdering with her tongues. There's hatred in her heart. 
you know, she's not forgiving her husband. She's, you know, whatever. And so you got all this stuff going on. And then he says, and besides all this list, God, she also agrees with me because she feels very guilty. She's, um, he, so he uses our sins as evidence and then he uses our guilt as evidence. So he makes his claim against us using, and then that guilt is like our endorsement of his, his right to prosecute us. So it's like in the courtroom, you've taken, you've just, you've been the defendant the whole time. And now you've taken the side of the prosecutor. Okay. How's the judge supposed to fix that? Um, so Satan uses, he sets us up. He presents his case. He uses our acceptance of the guilt as our agreement that he is right and that he has a right to challenge our innocence and to bring a judgment upon us. Especially because guilt says, I deserve, I agree, I deserve to be punished. So, so we inquire of the Lord, and then before you can really allow, we have an advocate, of course, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and that's in First John chapter 2. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but, for of the whole, but also for the whole world. Um, it's interesting that we can see this advocacy very clearly in the story between Peter and Jesus when in Luke twenty two thirty one, where Jesus went, went to Peter and he said, Simon, Simon, this is right, right before the crucifixion. And he says, Simon, Simon, he says, he, he says, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat has asked. He says, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. So Satan went up like he did with Job, like he did with Abraham. He's asked to sift, test Peter. Okay, why? Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Satan thought that Peter wasn't fit for the job. Maybe he thought Peter was, you know, he saw a couple of flaws and Peter wasn't too on board with Jesus going to the cross already. So he probably thought he could, you know, um, tempt Peter into taking an alternate route to um, victory through, you know, Roman conquest or something. I don't know what, but Anyway, Satan desires to sift you as wheat. So we see Satan going up to the court, petitioning to get permission to sift, uh, shake up, <laughs> test Peter. But Jesus said, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Okay, so Jesus, the advocate, the intercessor, prayed for Peter before the Father that his faith would not fail. And so then he gives them the good news. And when you have, when you have returned to me, in other words, this is going to draw you away from me, but I prayed for you and you will return to me. And when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. Some versions, I think the old King James says, and when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. And we've talked on the radio before about the necessary sin. Sometimes we have to go into that place of falling down and, and, and getting at the, to the bottom of the barrel. Peter's was the denial of Christ getting to that place of sin, uh, the necessary sin that is actually used by God. Uh, Satan is hoping it'll destroy us, and God is using it to convert us, to get us to be done with our own ways and our own uh, ways of doing things. So we are now in the place where we can um, recognize that we have an advocate. And Jesus Christ, by the way, so when you go to inquire what is the argument Satan is using, now you need to present your case. And presenting our case first starts with the forgiveness and the revelation. Revelation, okay, God, what happened? What's Satan doing here? 
what is the argument he's making? What are the grounds he's holding against us? Oh, in our bloodline, we have this and this and this still out of open doors of three masonry. Okay, so then I begin to confess. I confess the sins. I forgive those people who open those doors, who practice those sins. And the more specific you are, the better it will be for you. You know, when you do your dishes, you have to be pretty specific. You have to pick each one up. You can't just look at them and demand that they be done. You have to actually get in there and do it. And, and that's not because God is legalistic. It's because the devil is legalistic and religious. So the more specific you can be to take a noose off your neck, for example, and that will address the thyroid issue better than just, um, you know, stamping your feet and declaring something. It, it's just symbolic because there was a symbolic dedication to put it on. There needs to be a symbolic dedication to take it off. And this is kind of what we do with various ways. We, we have to do the reverse of what happened. And, and, and that's not always apparent. It's not always necessary, but it's very powerful when you know what it is. And so then, so we're forgiving, we're inquiring, finding out, first of all, finding out. And then once we find out what those sins are, we, for, we confess them. And then we forgive the people who did them. Uh, we forgive them for opening those doors. And, and then we ask God to rule in favor of the restoration of justice, choose his heart. We ask Jesus as the faithful witness at that point to testify. Lord, you know the truth. I'm calling Jesus Christ to take the witness stand right now to testify to the truth of what really happened back uh, with Queen Elizabeth. What really happened with, you know, with my son, my daughter. What is the lie that, that Satan told them, used to deceive them, that caused them now to go off into homosexuality? What is the lie? Um, and so you can then, at that point, ask Jesus to show you what that is, and you begin to cancel it out. You know, he says, I've given you power to bind, to loose, to forgive. Um, we, can can, we, we cancel those things out through the blood of Jesus Christ. We cancel out those agreements. That's what confession really is, is you come back into agreement with the truth. And so, and repentance means to turn your, around your, to turn your mind, to change your mind, stop believing the lie. So repentance and confession. And then as you do those things, you then go before the court and before the judge who loves you and say, Lord, I ask for mercy. I ask that you restore unto us everything that's been stolen, restore unto us um, our reputation, our, our, our finances, our health, our relationships, our ability to, um, uh, prosper in, you know, in those relationships or whatever it is. And, you know, there's a lot, lot, lot that Satan has done to mess up our lives. We've been living on the planet many generations now, and we're at the end of the age, basically. And so everything, everything he can possibly do to pull out, to mess up, to stop the, the people of God, he is, this is, this is our difficult hour. This is our time of, of testing. But we have to know that you, we have learned to live with our feelings, check our spiritual condition based on our feelings. The Bible says the just shall live by faith, not feelings. And so we've been created by God to walk in the spirit. But even the Christians have continued to walk in their um, emotions, in their thoughts, in the opinions of others, in the, in the man fear, the people pleasing, idolatry. I think the greatest idols we have are the opinions of other people. Um, so, and, and when we sin, we're not made by God to sin. So we feel guilty because that's not our divine nature. That's not who he made us to be. And when we feel guilty, um, the devil says, well, you did it. You know, you need to take responsibility for it because you did it. But Paul says something very interesting in Romans 7, he says, 720, he says, if I'm doing what I don't want to do, it's not me doing it. It's, it's like, okay, something is, he says, it's dwelling in me. I'm doing something. 
that I did not want to do. I'm not saying I didn't do it. I'm saying there's something going on in me that's causing me to do something I don't want to do. So who is guilty? Who is responsible? Um, who is that sin that's dwelling in us? Um, then he has to, we have to recognize, like Eve, that in my divine nature, I love righteousness. I love truth. I love justice. I do not, um, um, somebody has attacked me to make me, um, to, to deceive me, and I chose, and I did what I didn't want to do. So if I understand that there's a difference between a being and a doing, being and behavior, I can ad, uh, admit that I did it. Eve didn't say, oh, I didn't do it. She, she didn't say I didn't do it. She says, she implications, she says, the, the serpent deceived me. So she's saying, I did it, but I was deceived. So she w- we, but, So the initiation of that action was not with you. It was with the enemy. And so I can, uh, I can be separated from the sin I see myself doing and appropriate action, take appropriate action to deal with it because saying it's not me. This thing in me, Paul says, that I see this sin, this thing dwelling in me, um, uh, wrestling within, warring within me um, to, to, to do things I don't want to do. So the first thing I have to do is admit that I have sinned that I did a deed, but I acted contrary to my divine nature. That's where I come into confession, confession that I hate the sin, that I am, um, I'm a son or daughter of the Most High God who got tricked into sinning. Sin is not who I'm. As a matter of fact, in the Greek, obviously, we've talked about this before, the, the word sinner in Greek is an adjective which describes people, places, and things, doesn't name them. So we are being described as one who sins. And so, therefore, getting rid of the guilt humbling yourself, confessing, asking God to forgive you, and, and asking. He will. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of justice. God is a God of compassion. You can see this all through, all through the Word of God, that God is a super awesome, merciful, just, and righteous God. He's a God that's for us, not against us. He's a God of peace. He's a God who wants us to, to live in the remarkable revelation of his love and be at peace. And so, Father, today, as we have kind of went through this quite quick, quite quickly, Lord, that you would settle it down in our hearts. And again, again, the main point is to inquire what it is that the accuser is using. What are the grounds, the agreements, the arguments that he's making with God where he got you to agree with the lie that he's now using against you as he presents his court, his case in the court of heaven so that he can justify bringing his demonic judgments down upon us, upon you. So, Father, we ask that you'd help us, even those who are listening, that this will become specifically very helpful to them. They will inquire, what is it, Lord God? What is the lie that Satan is presenting against me in the court of heaven? What is the incident? What is the grounds? What, what agreements have I made that have allowed him to present this case and, and corrupt, uh, hurt my family, my body, my life, my destiny? Lord, show us. Father, I pray that you're faithful by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the testimony of Jesus Christ to show us, to vindicate us, and to validate us in your love. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me recommend that you go to uh, the website, liferecovery.com, and that you begin to read your Bible with desperate earnestness every day. You must read the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit discern it for you. Say, Holy Spirit, please show me what this means. I don't get it if you don't get it. And say, show me what this means, because we have to read our Bibles. That is the only, the only thing that is true, that is not a lie, 
although Satan can twist it even as he can many other things. So that's why you ask God to show you the truth because the truth will, its fruit is freedom. Its fruit is peace. Its fruit is reconciliation with God. The Lord bless you guys. Have an awesome week. Talk to you later. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.